Ask rain from the Lord at the time of the spring rain, the Lord who makes the storm clouds. And he will give them showers of rain, vegetation in the field to each man. For the teraphim speak iniquity, and the diviners see lying visions and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted because there is no shepherd. My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I will punish the male goats. For the Lord of hosts has visited his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic horse in battle. From them will come the cornerstone, from them the tent peg, from them the bow of battle, from them every ruler, all of them together. And they will be as mighty men, treading down the enemy in the mire of the streets in battle. And they will fight, for the Lord will be with them, and the riders on horses will be put to shame. Okay. There's a lot of things in this. Again, I more can do this just kind of working my way through. But he says, ask rain from the Lord. The Lord gives the rain. Now, what did the people of Zechariah's day, the pagans, where did they think the rain came They're idols. Baal, Hadad, the storm god. You know, but it's God. You turn to him for the rain. He's the one who gives it. Look at what he says about the uh, idols. The teraphim speak iniquity. The diviners see lying with uh, visions. They tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. So you got the people, you know, just wandering like sheep. They're afflicted. God's angry with the shepherds because they misled his people, because they comfort in vain. What does it mean that they comfort in vain? Remember what Jeremiah and Ezekiel said about things like that? What kind of things did they say that gave vain comfort? Peace, peace. Exactly. When there is no peace. They wanted to make God's people feel good when they were doing wrong. And that was hurting them. Read Jeremiah, read Ezekiel. That's exactly, they were trying to whitewash the wall. Make everything look good, kind of smooth it over, make it all look white when it's about to come falling down. It is not helpful to people to make them feel good when they're, when they're wrong, when they're going to be lost. That seems nicer. You want to be a nice guy. But, but that's false comfort. God is against the shepherds who just try to make his people happy. But they don't lead them to do what's right, even though it may be painful. He says he will make his people. But he's visited his flock. He'll make his people like his majestic horse in battle. This is, this is what God's going to make his sheep. Now that's quite a transformation, don't you think? From sheep to majestic horse in battle. But that's, that's what he's going to do. Think about our battles with temptation. And how he makes us this majestic horse. And, and from God's people, I think that's what he's saying in verse 4, from God's people will come the cornerstone, stable leaders, the tent peg, people, people that others can lean on, from them the bow of battle, fearless warriors, from them every ruler, all of them together, they will be as mighty men, treading down the enemy in the mire of the streets in battle, and they will fight, for the Lord will be with them, and the riders on horses will be put to shame. Again, you have this idea, the warrior imagery, the mighty men treading down the enemy, them fighting with the Lord's help, 
conquering with the gospel. There, I, I would again say this passage leads me to the conclusion there is an enemy, and we must gear up for warfare, and that that's an aspect of Christianity that I think it's easy to miss. And you see it here again. You know, this, this idea of, of the warrior warfare mentality. We fight. There are many things that we are to fight against. You know, many things that are just absolutely wrong, they're sinful, they're false philosophies, they're false teachings, they're false approaches to God. And, and what do you see? Take, take idolatry. What do the prophets say about idolatry? Anything good? Can't think of anything. I mean, how often do they say really strong things about idolatry? It's wrong. They, they make fun of it sometimes. And then they teach against it very strongly. So what about uh, world religions? You know, what should we teach about this? You know, what about, um, you know, immoral uh, teachings and so forth? What do we teach about them? You know, what, what, where do we stand on even matters of very fundamental belief? You know, what we ought to stand where the Lord does and fight for the church. You know, and then among the people of God. You think about through Jeremiah and Ezekiel, when the people of God were being influenced in the wrong direction. The false teachers were crying these. The true teachers, like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, were very unpopular because they taught the truth. In fact, they were they make fun of, of Jeremiah. There's old terror on every side again. Gloom and doom Jeremiah. Always down on us, always telling us that the sky is falling. You know, that kind of a thing. And what about? He wasn't saying that because he wanted to. He really didn't want to. He's saying that because that's what the Lord told him to say. Thought to God. Yeah. In verse 4, it says them in the main text, but it says literally him. Would that change? Would that make you? Well, make you maybe think of a particular him? Or it doesn't matter. Well, it's a debated text very much as far as what it's referring to. I, I, I think it's talking about uh, maybe him, this majestic horse, referring to them. So I think that them is a good interpretive translation. That he's talking about what he's going to make God's people. Now, there are some who would take it as what he's going to, maybe Jesus, and what he's going to make out of Jesus, or what Jesus is going to be. But I think in the context, this is more what God makes his people to be. Whether we use the him or the them doesn't really change that in my judgment. So you don't think it's messianic? I don't think so. I mean, I think it's messianic in the sense that's what Jesus makes his people. But I don't think this is the Messiah. I think this is us. But that, that's debatable, for sure. Other thoughts? Is the reference there to the tentag? Is that referring back to the story of Caleb? Well, I doubt it, but it's interesting. I, I think it's more like, you know, a tent peg is something that you stick down on the ground and, and you can lean that tent up against it, it'll be solid. So I think there's solid people. God makes people that you can lean on, you can rely on, they're steadfast, it's dead. They'll go along with the cornerstone. Exactly. The cornerstone is even a stronger figure of the same idea of stable leaders. Lots of things are interpreted in this, for sure. Marshall? Um, I think the first two verses kind of think back to Second Haggai chapter one, where it's talk of, you know, you sum up the first little you there have an hour, and so on and so forth, where they were really were satisfied. I feel like it's the kind of same type of idea. 
in the second verse, you know, when you're not serving God, when you're living with idols first, when you're doing your own things that you desire, you know, you're, you're wandering around like sheep. You don't have a focus. You don't have an idea that you're supposed to do. And, you know, if you ask rain to reward enough, if you ask the Lord, he'll help you. Just like in Haggai, turn back to God and he'll provide for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about 6 to 12? I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back, because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord of their God, and I will answer them. And Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with one. Their children shall see it, and be glad, and their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me, and with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Syria, and I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon, so there is no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea. And all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. The wonderful things God will do for his people in Christ. He'll strengthen them and save them and bring them back. We need strength, the Lord gives it. In fact, he gives it in incredible quantities. You know, just for a moment, I was just teaching yesterday afternoon, a young man, we were reading Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you according to the rich of his glory. When you see it according to, that means like in proportion to. So in the same quantity of the riches of his glory, how, how much riches does God's glory have? Okay, so it grants you that much according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Wasn't that a lot to pray? Can you imagine asking God to do all that? And then the next thing he says now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. So God's able to do way more than that. You know, it's almost it sounds like that's asking too much. And the truth is, he can do more than you can even imagine. So, you know, these are the blessings. He strengthens his people. He brings them back like he's never rejected them. You know, he gives them joy, you know, and, 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 and just he wipes out the past. He becomes their God, and they, they just have great rejoicing in the blessings they have from the Lord. The Lord has done so much for us. He's given us a wonderful opportunity to be his children, to be his people. He whistles. You know, the Lord doesn't have to ever work up a sweat. A whistle or a hand movement will be enough. You know, I, he'll whistle for them to gather together for I've redeemed them. And he just he scattered them, and then he remembers them and brings them all back from Egypt, from Assyria, from all the places where they've gone, 
and he brings them back to himself, and he brings them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until there's no room. And the problem is, there's not enough room in the land of Canaan, so they overflow into Gilead, they overflow up into Lebanon, there's still not enough room. The abundant, uh, uh, you know, growth of God's people, they outgrow the territory. And uh, they'll pass through the sea of distress, and he'll just dry up the knot. You know, he'll just, he'll just make the way, remove the obstacles. He brings the pride of Assyria down, the scepter of Egypt departs, and I will strengthen them in the Lord, and in his name they will walk, declares the Lord. By God's strength they walk daily in his name. What wonderful picture. What, what he does for us, how he blesses us, step by step, all the things. Now, now think about it. This is Zechariah telling what it's going to be like. Tell him how great it's going to be. What the Lord's going to give to him, what the Lord's going to do to him. And if he had asked, now when's this for? He would have been told, it's for the people coming generations in Christ. Us. Now, if we could only value what we had in Christ, like the people would have who heard Zachariah say this, and dream, oh, I wish I could be in that. Wow, won't it be great when God's people get to enjoy all of this? We do! We are the ones he was writing about. Do we treasure and value and appreciate the incredible blessings we have as being God's people? You read it like this, and it's like, wow, I wish I were one of those. Yeah, we are. This is, this is what we've received in Christ. What wonderful blessings we have. As the brother said earlier, we can't, we can't count all our blessings. We're getting too many new ones as we count them. It's a great point. Thoughts and comments? Things you want to say through chapter 10. All right, well, we're going to take another break.